0: Welcome to Watershed's November podcast. My name is Mark Cosgrove and I'm the cinema curator here at Watershed and I'm joined by Tara Judah, who's the cinema producer. Hi, Tara.
1: Hi, Mark.
0: So before we we get on to um, what's coming up in November, Tara, I just wanted to talk about what's happened in October because we are indeed living in in strange times um, still and uh, in the cinema world, there's been lots of quite seismic um, changes, actually. Um, I'm sure people listening will know that the James Bond that was slated to open actually this month but was was pulled from the schedules in October um, and it's moved to next year. And really as a direct result of that, the the um, Cineworld chain, um, commercial chain, have gone into, have been mothballed, gone into hibernation. And that also includes Picturehouse, um, their picture house boutique, independent, in quotes, independent chain as well, have closed, which is really quite, uh, as I say, quite seismic in terms of uh, an exhibitor deciding um, that, that, you know, we're, we're, we're going to close until we know that there's product. Um, and this prompted the usual um, soul searching, um, and I think the Guardian in particular seems to seems to want cinema to die, you know, in the reporting. It seems as though cinema's dead. Um, that's it. Everybody's gone online to watch films. And this and, headline
1: has been coming since the birth of cinema though. Let's let's yeah. say that.
0: Yeah. I mean news of my <laughs> It was death. born and yeah. it died. <laughs> yeah. Um and and you know I say I think what we're realizing is it might be a certain kind of cinema. And of course, as we know, there's many different kinds of cinema Many different kinds of kinds of films, but the the interesting thing from from my perspective and from Watershed's perspective was that you know we're obviously we reopened in September and you know you're you're thinking will the audience be there? Will they come? Will they be you, you know averse to you know coming to coming to social spaces? How's it all going to work? We're we doing our best to make people feel secure and safe. There's some great films out there, and and actually during October I, I keep an eye on advanced sales and how we're doing. You know. And, and I was just saying to somebody, this is before the bond moved. I said, God, you know, our, our October advance sales are great. I mean, obviously, it's way, way reduced, but – People are coming back to the cinema, and there's some great films. Um, we've just shown Rocks, you know. We've shown some Mod. We've shown these fantastic um, films, and audiences have responded. So there was me saying, "This is brilliant! This, I can't believe this is fantastic! There's hope, there's optimism." Then the Bond moves, then City World closes, and I'm talking to journalists about the death of cinema. And like, <laughs> hang on a minute, what's going on here? Um, it, but, but what I've seen now in multiplexes in particular is that you know they they would rely on those big releases like Tenet, like the Bond, you, you, um, you know, like Soul, the new Pixar film, and they, they, that's coming up. They, they they would have been on in five screens in the multiplexes. So taking up so th- those multiplexes that have stayed open need content, and they're searching in in lots of interesting places now for that content. So they're going into back catalogs and showing rep. Um, I mean, it's still American, on the whole, American mainstream rep. But they, they, it seems to me that there's a, there's there's an interesting opportunity for independent film and independent filmmakers. And I think, you know, one of the kind of most enterprising examples of that at the moment or that happened at the end, towards the end of October, is a filmmaker in his, his mid-20s from Stroud. And he's made this film called um, Philophobia, Fear of falling in love, and I'm sure we'll come on to phobias when we start talking about November's films and Cronenberg Cronenberg in particular. But um, he's made this film self financed, made it in Stroud, and he's now got it into something like fifty cinemas across the UK. Um, I mean, it's it's it it was shown in a couple of the multiplex cinemas. So I sort of think to myself, you know, maybe there's with all these big uh, blockbuster titles out the road now. There's perhaps an opportunity for independent film, independent filmmakers, to to get exposure and to get um, to to get out to audiences, um, which I think is really interesting in terms of the sort of
1: cinema landscape. Absolutely, I mean, I've always said, repertory, independent, and ex- experimental film should be <laughs> what saves us all. So this is the moment; it's finally time. Um, and and you know, I think that that's a hopefully a very welcome. Uh, thing that will open up people's appetites uh, and their eyes to new types of ex- cinema experiences.
0: And in, in cinema, um, as we know, is, is most definitely not dead. Our announcements of its death are, are um, premature. Um, and, you know, hopefully as things continue, um, the way they have in October, um, certainly audiences have been coming to Watershed and I think really welcoming the opportunity to see to, to re engage with some of the great films that are around. So coming on to um November, and actually we've got a rep title um coming up, which is 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 a 4K restoration of David Cronenberg's infamous, notorious, shall we say, crash. Uh, I am we...
1: so excited.
0: I was just going to say before we go on to your excitement, I was going to say <laughs> which which is actually dated already um in a couple of multiplexes in bristol i can't imagine that would have happened before before covid and before the movie <laughs> you know, you know I, I can't imagine they would be they would be booking they'd be rushing to book i hope they don't think it's paul haggis's crash that, that i was gonna going.
1: say they may they may not have noticed that it's not starring sandra bullock so we're not talking about that crash that terrible uh film that came out i don't know about what is it, probably 10 years or so ago now, Um, we're talking about David Cronenberg's Crash, which came out in 1996. So, uh, you know, based on the J.G. Ballard uh, novel, same name. So this is one of, yeah, like you said, Mark, one of the most notorious films, especially in Britain. It's really interesting, actually, how... The film was received here specifically. Um, I don't think it had quite so much outrage in the rest of the world. I think Britain was one of the places that um, kind of was most vehemently against the film. And a lot of that came from, uh, the, again, talking about journalism. I think this is really interesting in terms of the death of cinema conversation, because it it says something about British press um, and and the hyperbole in which they like to expound on these sorts of things. But this film uh, had outrage from obviously the Daily Mail and the Evening Standard. It was called, uh, the Telegraph called it a depraved film to be released in Britain quoting the Evening Standard who said it was beyond the bounds of depravity. So there was like quotes of like journalists quoting other journalists calling it depraved. It it was said to have some of the most perverse acts and theories of sexual deviance, you know, in mainstream cinema That that this was like, just absolutely uh, unbelievable thing to show. And shockingly, I think this is what's shocking, not the film. The film's not shocking in my opinion. But what is shocking is that LFF um, actually had a screening of this film and then it was was brought to, you know, there were statements in Parliament about this film that had it banned in the borough of Westminster. So it It caused – it only had –
0: it may well One still single be banned. screening, yeah, and, and, and it may well still be banned. Um, <laughs> I, I, I read somewhere that you know it's, it is, it, you know, because the licensing committee banned it, and I don't think that's been revoked. So I think it may well still. So, so um, um, if you're in if you're in the West End, um, I don't think it will, it will be on in any of the screens there,
1: which is just extraordinary, really, to to think that this film could be and especially um you know and i think there's there's lots of really interesting um uh interviews with cronenberg and ballard if you want to sort of look further into this about the the controversy that was caused and i mean you know ballard was kind of sh- shocked and bemused by it thinking but this book's been out for age you know like people know what the 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 content is the films you know he thought was really great he was really impressed by the film but considered the the reception to it to be little england at its worst and he called it a strange nervous nation and i think that's. That's really interesting statement to reflect on now in, in the way in which we are responding to things. And I think Britain, more than anywhere else, has been the one to go quickly to the death of cinema. Um, and if you look at the kind of reports coming out of other countries, they're not talking about cinema in that way, even in places where cinema has a stricter lockdown, actually. Mm. Um, there are not the same level, I don't think, of sort of like mourning its death before it's already died. I always think of like the British um, press as kind of like standing around a slightly injured dog just going oh look at it it's dying it's dying it's like it's not dying it's got like a cut on its foot or something you know and and that's kind of how we're looking at at cinema so this 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 crash um just comes perfectly crashing into cinema at this time you know and 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 a film that has yeah not seen the big screen in so many years um and yes like you, you said in some places may still not be able to see the big film but what it really does is it kind of it asks us about our expectations of exposition, story, narrative, impact, aesthetic effect, because actually, and I think I'm going to quote David Cronenberg here because he says this really brilliant thing in response saying his film's not pornographic. Um, and he says its purpose is not primarily to arouse sex sexually using sex and scenes of sex as an integral part of a film is dangerous. Usually movies stop for a sex scene and then continue. When people see three or four sex scenes in a row, they get confused and wonder when the movie's going to start. But the movie has started. And that's just perfect. It's like it's kind of playing with our expectations of narrative and what we think uh, cinema should be. So actually this film is experimental um, and it's not titillating in the least actually because of I think how much sex there is. It's kind of almost the opposite. It sort of like drills into what is violence and sexuality and what is the spectacle of cinema about.
0: But, I mean, it is a shocking film. I mean, there's no two ways that it is a shocking film. It's But it's intentionally a shocking film because it is exploring, you know, it's exploring those areas that you talk about. And, you know, that sort of moral frenzy that, that was whipped up at the time, well, partly what it did was gave the film promotion, free promotion. I mean, it was on the front page of the Daily Mail saying, you know, sex-crazed fetish film should be banned. Well, I mean, if that's not going to get a whole bunch of people wanting to go and see it, I don't know what it's not. But the, the thing is that it is completely not titillating, it's completely not pornographic. It's, it's 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 quite a cold film, I remember. I mean, I haven't seen it for years mm. and years, so I, I am looking forward to seeing it again. Well, when I say looking forward, I'm, you know, I'm always hesitant about that with David Cronenberg films in general. Um but it's—I I remember it being very cold, very detached. Um, it, it, it's not an—it's e- not an easy watch in that respect because it doesn't make you feel comfortable, and it's precisely—it's—it's um, it's, it's precisely not about making you feel comfortable. But I—I—I I, I mean, I remember it being screened in um, at that screening at the London Film Festival at the time, and there was an incredible atmosphere around it. Um, which was then generated, which of course had that effect of making it a must see. Um, you know, it's always as soon as you call for censorship, or something, people want to see it, and of course they go and watch it and say, "Well, God, that was weird," or "That was." Unless you know what Cronenberg and Ballard, this sort of territory that they're exploring. Um, mm. So it's going to be really interesting to see it in this restoration uh, again. So, but but one one of the things that that, that really. Um, in the intervening years, struck me how prescient both Ballard and Cronenberg were, was, um, I mean, you just have to think about the tragedy of Princess Diana and the car crash and her death in that, you know, being chased by the paparazzi in the car crash and bringing together those those, um, two kind of morbid obsessions of fame, glamour and death. You know, brought together in, in this sort of moment of a car crash, and of course that's kind of been something that's haunted Hollywood. You know, James Dean most famously died. You know that that mm-hmm. that kind of morbid fascination that there is, and what what I I remember when reading Ballard is is that he, it's like he's and he, he did train as a doctor. It, it is like he's taking a scalpel to the human psyche, <laughs> and it's not. I mean, it's it's it's, it's brilliantly done. But it's it's not
1: entertaining. No, <laughs> <laughs> I mean no, but yeah, but yes, I'm still excited to see. No, movie no, the cinema. <laughs> but, but but the but the other
0: thing that really that really brought crash to my mind was I was I I was driving in northern Spain. Uh, I'd hired a car and I was driving from Bilbao airport, um, which is like something out of a Ballard um, novel in itself. Um, and I was driving along the motorway, and there were all these burnt out or crashed, mangled vehicles all along. I mean, I'd never seen anything like it. It was it was terrifying, and I couldn't understand because they were all dotted along the motorway as I was as I was driving along. And of course, it makes you drive slower when you see things like that. And what I found out afterwards that the people who clear car crashes away were on strike, and so so what you had was the visibility of all these car crashes and the implications that the car crashes have.
1: Mm.
0: And it was like Ballard, was, Ballard had suddenly appeared. I shouldn't laugh because obviously there's tragedies involved with it. But it was a, a very Ballardian sort of, um, and he gets under that surface, and I think that's what Cronenberg does as well brilliantly, is gets underneath that surface of the, um, you know, what lies beneath, as it were
1: which is the perfect segue into talking about his son's film, which also opens this month, Possessor. uh, And literally Brandon Cronenberg, uh, who made Antiviral, people might remember back from 2012, is trying to get under the skin. And he is really literally and figuratively trying to do that. So it's a, a fascinating film about inhabiting other people's bodies with our brains. And in a way also that again, mirrors the kind of cinema experience, the idea of going into a, a darkened room or a sort of a, a dark space or even a womb-like space and trying to get inside somebody else's physicality, their embodiment, their psyche. Um, and and it's a science fiction obviously in that sense, but it is also a horror and my word, is it wonderfully bloody? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's,
0: it's a little bit over the top for me at times. I did, I did think to myself, but what, what, what? Um, there is a couple of scenes. I should, should, should just put out a, 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 an alert. There is a couple of scenes that are, you know, pretty, pretty heavy um, um, from from Cronenberg Junior. But what, what I thought was, you know, for for Cronenberg Junior, with with no, you know, having Cronenberg Senior's body of work. You think to yourself, I think I'll move out of that shadow and I'll go somewhere else. <laughs> you know, I might, I might do some rock music or something, or I might, you know, I don't know. I might take up surfing. But he, he not only enters into the trade of of David Cronenberg's dad, um, but he covers very similar sort of um, subject matter of, as you say, the sort of technology, the corporeal, um, you know, thriller. It's a bit. There's a bit of existence in there. Um, um, also with Jennifer Jason Lee making an appearance um, in oh, Possessor fantastic. as well. There is, there so is great to see her. <laughs> yeah, she's great, isn't she? She just feels like this sort of wild, slightly crazed force, and she's only in it for a very sort of short period of time. But you think, my God, Brandon Cronenberg, you know, why, why, were you mad, you know, to enter into that territory? But I just, I mean, I didn't think about David Cronenberg after, you know, the opening credits. This was a very distinctive, um, strong filmmaking Um, and I'm really, really impressed. I wasn't as impressed by Antiviral, which I did feel was a bit trying too hard. But but Possessor, I thought, was really fantastic, strong um, filmmaking and exploring um, that interesting territory of... I mean, you said science fiction. You know, there's a part of me thinking to myself, this isn't far off. Mm. (laughs) This isn't far off both. This isn't far off fiction and it isn't far off science fiction either, you know.
1: Yeah, no, I'll forgive you for your comments about antiviral because, uh, yes, you're right. Possessor is a great film, <laughs> um, <laughs> and one that explores like it, things like archetypes just magnificently. Um, yeah, I, I, I can't wait to to yeah. hear people's responses to it. But
0: the, the performances, I really enjoyed the performances of Andrea Riseborough. You know, as the as the um, assassin that enters the the mind and body of the person who's then going to do the assassination, who's and who's, Christopher
1: Abbott, who is just fantastic. People might remember him from the film *Piercing*, opposite Mia Wasikowska. I thought he was brilliant in that, and I thought he was brilliant yeah. in this as well. Because, uh, yeah, he's because great. he
0: has to perform being Andrea Riseborough's character taking over his character, and in a way, it sort of it, it reminded me of *Face Off*. Um, John Woo's face-off, you know, with Nicholas Cage yep. and John Travolta. Not because of any thematic, but just that they're performing each other. Um, and I thought yeah. it, Christopher Abbott was just brilliant at that.
1: Yeah, I think it's an extremely difficult thing to do and he does it with a plum.
0: Mm. So both Cronenbergs deliver then on... Um, um, uh, well, I mean, I think you, you know an extraordinary, an extraordinary family um, of of filmmakers, um, and you can compare and contrast those this month. What else are you looking forward to in November?
1: Well, speaking about family lineages, uh, "Relic," which is all about three generations of women, uh, and their just incredible uh, imprisonment. Through their expectations of each other, mm. but also um, through this this sadness and melancholia for the aging process, and and actually the film is a really beautiful metaphor for dementia mm. uh, for the for the the full matriarch, which is the um, the grandmother in the film. But it, it, it is an Australian film that I just absolutely adored. I saw this um, in the virtual LFF at home, and I think it's one of the most beautifully explored allegorical horrors um it's really gently it's it's funny because it's quite terrifying but i think it's actually also a really gentle treatment of the subject matter um and it really cares for its characters even though there are some quite terrifying nail-biting you know cover your eyes sort of moments in the film um and i think that the 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 balance of that that tonally in the film is just absolutely brilliant and again from a I just can't believe I'm saying this, but this is from a first-time featured filmmaker. So, um, yeah, really impressive stuff, I thought.
0: Uh, what, what do you, I mean, it made me think, you know, we've just come out of St. Maud. It um, was released last month by Rose Glass. You know, again, a, a first feature um, female filmmaker. And I was thinking, um, you know, there's been such a lot of really strong um, first-time female directors making horror films in particular, you know, thinking through the, the, the past um, decade, really, I wonder if when when we come, when journalists come to write about the past decade, that that will certainly be one of the, for me, it would certainly be one of the cinematic, exciting cinematic things that have happened, is that women have taken on the horror genre. And really, it feels to me really inverted it or adapted it to be about more female concerns rather than the kind of more traditional male Um, obsessions and horror films
1: yeah well what's brilliant about this film actually is that it really explores these three women's characters relationships and psyches they're they're individually and also kind of collectively as a, a family and there's all this stuff about history woven in there um but like you say this is not from the kind of typical uh 19 60s 70s sort of like slasher genre kind of Mm. perspective that I think a lot of people think horror is still concerned with um it actually is really not looking at these characters as uh objects for our you know titillation or or kind of exploitation or enjoyment in that sense it's looking at them as people with with great depth and it's looking past again, this kind of idea of the archetype and looking much deeper into the psyche. And I I found that it was a really beautifully rendered film. I I think it's done with such exquisite uh, craft and a really deft hand, especially for such a, you know, for for a debut feature film.
0: And and uh, yeah, it was very moving because I I was... I kind of almost reduced tears towards towards the end. I won't say too much about it, but it it moved it away from as you say, it moved it away from horror and those kind of visceral thrills into actually a very uh, moving exploration of the emotions between daughter, mother, grandmother, mother, um, granddaughter, and and but also. Um, the house, as well, was brilliantly used. I mean, that follows in such a kind of strong tradition of, of the kind of, in quotes, haunted house. Mm. But the house becomes so much more, you know, it really does become a metaphor for what's happening, particularly in the, 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 grandmother's, the grandmother's mind.
1: Yeah, the house is a brilliant uh, device, and it's really explored very well. And also, just as a, a side note, Black mold is terrifying in real life and on screen. Yeah, exactly,
0: exactly. I know you don't. You just don't want that in your uh, <laughs> creeping down your wall, do you? Do you? You want you want to get that sorted before you move in.
1: Really gets in your bones that yeah. stuff.
0: So that's I, I, we certainly agree on that one. Um, really is is a really um, quite formidable, strong debut feature. From from the Japanese Australian writer director Natalie Erica James, who I gather is 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 working on a her next project is a Japanese folk horror, which with elements of Wicker Man and Rosemary's Baby. I'm there already. I am there already. (laughs) I I want to see that film now. Um, So 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 moving on from from um, horror to absurdity. I'm delighted that we've got this month um, the new film from, um, for me, one of the sort of great European directors, really distinctive directors, um, Swedish director Roy Anderson. His new film is is entitled in a true Roy Anderson um, style about endlessness.
1: It is such a fitting title.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, and the thing is it follows on from his sort of existence trilogy of the, you know, the living trilogy, um, which was, you know, Songs from the Second Floor, which really kind of announced Anderson to, to sort of a wider audience. I think it kind of reached, it got him out to a wider audience. Songs from the Second Floor, you the Living, and the brilliantly named A Pigeon Sat on A Branch Reflecting on Existence, which must get it for this, you know, film title of, <laughs> of the century.
1: Yeah, I mean I I've got to say I have previously loved Roy Anderson's films um and and really just delighted in both the technical you know the absolute craft that goes into creating some of the most unbelievably beautifully stark uh, and color-coded sets. I mean, you know, everything is so precise in, in the framing, in the art direction. Um, yeah, it's a, it, he really has an, an eye for aesthetics. Um, and that's mirrored, obviously, by the kind of, like you say, absurdist but also um very dry tone of the films and the content that they have. But I I found about endlessness was just too much for me. And I think that's why the title is it so was, it was en- it was endless. It's endless <laughs> it is. His style, his his commitment to this absolutely Maudlin uh somber aesthetic is endless um, he is not doing anything new so for fans of Roy Anderson you should be pleased this is more of the same um, for anyone who has has kind of maybe reached their limit with it this might prove a little bit too tedious
0: but I, I, it's funny because it's it's actually one of his shorter films I mean I think it comes in about <laughs> 70, 78 minutes I, I love every single frame of it I mean I just love every <laughs> single frame of every single Roy Anderson film as you say he's 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 a real tech. He's a real attention to detail, and you know these films take a good four years to make. End, endless. Um, they take. They take. And they sort of remind me in some ways of Artman's animations. You know that mm. that attention to detail, the built set, because of course he constructs all the all the sets are constructed with a kind of team that works with them very closely um and and everything is controlled and um, there's no externals there's there's you know all everything that you see on screen has been constructed um and the attention to detail is is, is phenomenal and in a way sort of he's a he's a bit like a painter in that respect um, and you know, I was reading an interview with him, and he talked about um, his his love of painters like um, Bruegel, um, like Edward mm. Hopper. And if you mm-hmm. if, if you can imagine Edward Hopper's, you know, famous nighthawks with that 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 brilliant um, group of well, small three people I think sat in a late night coffee shop um, in New York or something, and you know the 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 atmosphere atmospheric lighting and in in what you when you when you look at that painting you're thinking to yourself who are these people what were they doing before what are they going to do after what? and I think what, what what Roy Anderson does is is he is he, he it's almost like the painting has come to life and you get some of the some of the bits before and some of the bits after. And actually you can watch them um because in that way that you would look at a painting in its detail and look at every part of the painting. Because the frame is so rich in the Roy Anderson films. And he gives you the time to absorb everything within that frame. But there's also just some brilliant comedy. I mean, it reminds me of Buster Keaton. Um, The way Buster Keaton sets up um, comedy routines within frames, shots. There's a brilliant sort of construction Um, But he's also Samuel Beckett, it's also about the kind of profound absurdity of life and how we, you know, um, but there's a warmth and and I I love Roy Anderson as you can tell Tara, so I will be there, I will be in the front (laughs) row and I I will be immersed, I will be immersed in about endlessness. That's a small selection of some of the films that are coming up this month at Watershed. Are there any any other things that you want to um, point to, Tara? There's a couple of things that I've got that I'll just quickly mention, but is there anything, anything else?
1: Yeah, I'm just going to – I don't have time to say why, but I'm just going to say do check out, if you, um, if you can handle the subject matter, A Song Without a Name. Absolutely breathtaking cinematic stuff. Um, really devastating story, though, about – a young woman who goes to a fake birth clinic and they steal her baby. So if that's going to set you off, don't go see it. I found it devastating, but it is gorgeous to look at uh, on the big screen. And also very excited about Patrick, which um, (laughs) starts with this extraordinary bird's eye view overhead shot of a naked man floating in a beautiful lake. And it completely fixes in on the fact that there he is living on his nudist colony. He fixes things and he's looking for his missing hammer
0: yes i think that might be um slightly absurdist in the roy anderson but not <laughs> not in the roy anderson vein um but a cu- couple of things for me uh, is another round uh, the new thomas vinterberg film um which we screened as part of the london film festival uh on tour and got a great response um i i, I mean I, I loved um thomas vinterberg's fest and his his kind of you know early early feature film in, in which was made under this uh, dogma 85 95 um rules um, but he's never quite delivered um that same kind of energy that same kind of drama tragedy comedy um wow
1: i disagree the hunt was fantastic
0: <laughs> uh, uh, not, not not much comedy going on in the hunt i seem to remember but um but yes i mean i think the hunt was 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 getting close and of course he had mad mads, mads mickelson there who appears again in in another round but what 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 it does with another round, I think, is bring together those uh, th- that fantastic elements of of tragedy, comedy, um, the only the only close friends and family so, so, so can reveal in another round, which which follows a, a group of teachers, um, middle middle aged, middle class mundane teachers whose life has become have become mundane and they decide to spark things up by if they can live on point five percent alcohol um in their bloodstream. And I have always had this theory that I can certainly play snooker absolutely better on two pints. And um, once it goes beyond that, it's terrible. If it's below that, it's terrible. But if you can hit that point. And so there's a lot of comedy to be had. And I, I as I say I, the, the subject matter chimed with me. But of course, as we know, it can only it can only lead to tragedy. But what you get is just this most superb performance from from Mads Mikkelsen. Um and, and it certainly feels for me that Vinterberg um in in the writing and the making is definitely back on form, which the hunt indicated.
1: Okay. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, and then finally, 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 Mank uh, coming up. Um, terrible title for a film um, in the UK called Mank, um, which, which is David Fincher's new film, which explores um, the, the, the kind of underbelly of 30s Hollywood and in particular um, the making of Citizen Kane, which if people know is that sort of controversial you know, was it an Austin Wells film? Was it Herman Mankiewicz, the, the writer's film, who came up with the original idea? And Herman Mankiewicz was the sort of scurrilous, scandalous uh, scriptwriter um, who, as I say, wrote Citizen Kane and many other films. Um, it, 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 terrible title, Mank, tried to forget the title, but I'm, I'm certainly really looking forward to seeing the film. A few more titles there. Other films are, are being screened and if you go to watershed.co.uk you'll find out more. Look forward to seeing you at Watershed in the cinema and thank you very much, Tara. Thanks, Mark. That's all for this month.